the God of Israel confronts the false gods of Egypt. And what he does is he dunks on the false gods of Egypt, right? He, he takes the very things that, that people would worship, like the river and the sun and all these things, and he's, he turns the sun off, and he turns the river into blood, and the livestock die. And, 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 and what happens is that God is glorified. His people who were stuck in bondage are freed. His people that were in slavery get out of the slavery of Egypt and are freed and are planted in the promised land, planted in the land where they would be free to worship him. And so we wanted to look at for several weeks, what are some of the false gods that we worship in 2018 in Gloucester City, right? And we've been looking at different false gods. And tonight we're going to look at the false gods, the idols of politics, race, and money. Let me pray for us. Father God, as we speak about these things, Lord, as Dylan prayed, I echo his prayer. I, I agree with it. I need it. I pray that it wouldn't be your word. It wouldn't be my word. It would be your word that we would listen to. Lord, we pray that you'd forgive us. Forgive me for the sins that I've committed in word, thought, and deed this week. So that I might speak your holy word. And I also pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that you would forgive them for everything they've thought and everything they've said and everything they've done that we would be able to have ears to hear what you have to say to us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're a divided nation. Check the news. Been watching the news lately? Sister says no, I, I understand why. <laughs> because we're a divided nation. Check your social media. You'll see, we're a divided nation. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that. Check churches, for the most part. I thank God that this isn't really true of our church. But check churches, for the most part. And what you'll see is, the church is going to be one race and political lean, or another race and political lean. Check out the table at Thanksgiving with your extended family, <laughs> right? <laughs> Any division there? Uh, probably. <laughs> probably some stuff that's like forbidden to talk about, <laughs> right? We're divided over politics. We're divided over money. We're divided over race. There's a division even in how we answer this question of identity. You know, some people answer this question or they ask this very question with, who am I? Who am I as an individual? Like, what am I? What, what, 
how do I figure out what I'm going to do and who I'm going to be? Others wouldn't think that way at all. They ask themselves, whose side am I on? Who am I loyal to? So even the way that we think about ourselves at the most fundamental level is completely different. Let me read for you our text. If you could put it up, Matt. Galatians 3, 27 to 28. Good? For all of you who were baptized, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let me read it one more time. That is a revolutionary, powerful verse in our divided situation, amen? And read it with me. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. For four years, we lived in Rwanda as missionaries. And I'll tell you what, that's a country that's divided on a whole nother level than the way we experience division at Thanksgiving or on social media or in the news here. There are three groups in Rwanda. This is in the middle of Africa. There's the Tutsis, there's the Hutus, and there's the Twa. In 100 days, in 1994, in the course of 100 days, a million people were killed in a country of only six million. Now, there ain't no neighborhood that bad in America where one out of six gets killed in 100 days. And it's far more complicated than just that incident of genocide and war. You know, back in the 60s, the king of Rwanda was poisoned, probably by the missionary priests, so that they could get the son in and baptize him, Catholic, and then the whole country came over under the influence of Catholicism. Um, and this is not a, another, this isn't sequel to the idol of religion. This is just what happened. And what ended up happening was that guy was chased out. And all of a sudden, hundreds of thousands of people are being chased out of the country. And they get out of the country and they flee up north into another country. And they end up living in containers for 30 years as refugees from 1960. And then they come back in 94 and they take over. 
And, there, and if you look at the history, this actually goes back hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. The political divide is unimaginable to us. This isn't just, oh, you know, my cousin he just doesn't get it. He's just stubborn and thick. He's against progress. He's against, you know, sanity. No, it's, oh, like, my neighbor killed my wife. <laughs> and, and the political divide there has very little to do with ideas, policy, or vision for the country. It has to do with, is our guy in charge? Because if our guy's in charge, that means we get to eat. <laughs> that means we'll get the jobs. That means our people will be taken care of. In our society, I, I think the division is starting to move in that direction in many ways, where it becomes less and less about like what your vision for what should be, whether it be big government or small government or libertarianism or socialism or whatever, and it, it becomes increasingly about our social group, our, the people who look like us and think like us or have the same amount of money as us and making sure that we get a little break sometimes, <laughs> making sure that our group gets taken care of. And politics starts to get subsumed into our identity, into our race, into our wealth. But you know what? I saw the gospel at work when I was serving in Rwanda. I'll tell you that. Instead of it being, instead of the church, instead of the message of the church simply being a, a tool that, that, that props up the division between people, I saw it being a means for bringing people together who would never be in the same room. They're people eating and sharing meals together, being taught the word of God together. We had this, we had this structure um, where there were three bunk beds high um, and, and you, you, we could fit about 40, 40 people in them. And we would have 40 pastors come and they would be community leaders out in these different villages that they came from. And they came from all these different groups. The Hutu, the Tutsis, the Twa, they came from all of them. And they would live together. It was the first time that, you know, somebody from the other group is sleeping four feet above me. <laughs> and we're all here to study the Bible together. And we talk about how we're all one, but this is another level being one. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to talk about, well, I'm not, you know, racist or prejudiced. It's another thing to share a room together for three weeks straight, four times a year for four years. And they would have meals together. And they would sit eight hours a day under the teaching, studying the New Testament, studying the Old Testament. You know what we saw? We saw incredible repentance. We would see, especially the first couple times they would come up, say, people would say, you know what, my father, my mother would tell me that people from this other group weren't even human. And this is a very difficult thing for us to say. My family was wrong. 
my group is wrong about this. Everything that I was raised to believe is wrong about this. You know, my experiences, you know, come from the same way in terms of how God used meals and gospel teaching and spending a ton of time with people to change me and change my heart. I remember vividly driving down Rio Grande in Wildwood and it was my dad and his friend in the front and I'm in the back and this group of people come out the lights not it's green but the group this group of young black guys come out on the street and my dad says man these niggers act like they own the place You know, growing up, we joked about all the time about how the Pollocks were dumb. <laughs> Could tell you like a thousand jokes about Pollocks. But it didn't have teeth. They were just the next group. We were Irish, and they were just a little bit below us. <laughs> but they were pretty much the same. <laughs> but we started talking about other groups, it had teeth. And of course, over time, that way of talking began to change as you, you couldn't say certain things and th certain things changed. But we're still not at that spot, right? I remember we had, I'm, I'm part of the Lions Club here, and it's, Lions are like the, it's the largest service club in the world, and it's a bunch of business owners in town and that kind of stuff, and they have great meals. And um, I'm like one of the youngest guys there, guy there, you know, it's like... <laughs> guys have been, you know, but, but I remember like, we'll just have different nights and it would be like, tonight is bring your best joke about Italians night. We would know, we would know if there was real healing with prejudice, if we were able to, first of all, have Hispanic and African-American people in that room, in that meal, and also be able to joke on them. That's how you know, <laughs> and it not be hurtful, right? And it not have teeth, that's how you know, like, all right, you're one of us. You joke on us, we joke on you, but we can't do that. When I served in North Philly, I remember my family, I, I, I would go there and, there and spend weeks down there and I remember all the terrible things that my family would say and it wasn't anger from this place of privilege or anything like that. My family was, was having all the same struggles as the people that we were going down and working with, but there's that sense of, there's that idol of, well, at least whatever else is going wrong in my life, at least I'm not something else. Whatever else I'm struggling with, we got drugs going on, we got you know, poverty, we got whatever we got going on, at least we're not black, at least we're not whatever. And like you have, I've seen lots of change, but 
has sort of that enforced from the outside change that sort of what's acceptable to talk about? Has that changed hearts? <laughs> has that changed hearts? I think with what happened in the last couple of elections sort of revealed, you know, with having the first black president and then having Trump come after, it sort of revealed all this tension that's actually there. Whatever you think, whatever you think of those presidents, I think it would be hard to argue that it hasn't stirred up stuff and it hasn't revealed that there's tension. There's stuff going on. Race, politics, and money, how much money you have, they're all so closely aligned, sometimes we don't even know where the one begins and the other ends. We look at this passage and it says, there is no Jew or Greek for those who have been baptized and are covered by Jesus Christ. See, Jews back then, they despised the nations. They called the people that weren't Jewish Gentiles. And often it came with the dog at the end of it. So it was like the Gentile dogs, right? And, and Jews had this sense of, we are God's chosen people. We are different. We are called to be holy. But it also came with an incredible amount of condemnation for everybody else. And the Greeks, Greeks were a nation that in many ways were worth despising. <laughs> you know, it, it's Sunday, it's Apollo's day. Let's go to church and sleep with prostitutes. That was like, how, that, that's what they did in temples. Men would have young boys under 10 in the military in cities like Sparta and cities like Athens on a regular basis. They'd have little kids that they would be active with sexually. And that would be their, you know what I'm saying? The culture was rotten through and through in many ways. The, the, the church hadn't come. There hadn't been this idea of like taking care of the vulnerable, taking care of the weak. So you know what you'd do if you had a baby and that baby did, was born with a club foot or born with one eye blind or born with some defect? You leave the baby out on the trash heap. That was the way. <laughs> Unchallenged, that was the way utterly hedonistic, utterly obsessed with power culture. So you have two very different cultures, right? Couldn't be more different, Jew and Greek. Do you see now how radical this passage is? <laughs> those in Christ Jesus, for those who are baptized in Jesus, there is no Jew, there is no Greek. All of that good stuff that you had going on as being a Jew, guess what? It doesn't matter. All the corruption and rottenness and all the stuff that was happening in the Greek culture, 
Guess what? It doesn't matter. Your deepest identity is the fact that you have been forgiven by Jesus. Not how good you are or how bad you are, but it's that you've been forgiven by Jesus. Two utterly different people. One with power, money, the other stubborn, but poor and ostracized and disempowered. But they ate together. You remember the story in Acts where Peter had a vision and he was supposed to go hang out with this guy named Cornelius. And what does Peter say? Peter's like, I can't do that. That guy's a sinner. Not only is he, he was, he was a legionnaire. He was somebody in power. He wasn't just a Gentile. He, he was a general type of guy, right? He, he, he commanded other men. And God sent this vision to Peter where he showed Peter in this vision that God had cleansed all of the animals on earth. Of course, it was about the kosher law. It was about, you know, you can eat lobster now. <laughs> but that really wasn't the point. <laughs> it really wasn't about, well, in the Old Testament, you couldn't eat lobster. They had all these rules in the Old Testament to show that the God's people were different from every other nation on earth. But now, now God's people are different from every other nation on earth, but not by their outward acts and what they eat and what they dress in and how they look and the language they speak, but how they love people and how they follow God. And so Peter goes and he hangs out with Cornelius, right? And Cornelius has dreams about Peter. And, and God, just it's called a divine appointment, when these two people's lives collide, and they should never have collided, they were completely from different worlds, and yet God made them brothers. God made them one family. Let me, let me tell you, last year at Lent, um, on Ash Wednesday, and a lot of different Christian traditions on Ash Wednesday, what they do is you take some ashes, and you take the the palms, you burn the palms, you, you know those from the palm trees right before Easter, the kids will sometimes make crosses and stuff like that. You take those palms and you burn them and you get a bunch of ash from the last year. You save it all year and then you go to church and you get the ashes spread on your head, usually in the sign of a cross. And you have you have the pastor, you have the priest look at you in the eye and tell you that from dust you came and to dust you're going to return. So repent and believe the good, the good news. And so what I did is I realized that lots of people that, that at the end of the day are in the bar Wednesday night, they may not have gone to any church, but it would be a symbol of grace, not some magical thing that saved them, but just a token and a sign of grace to go out to all these bars and to offer those ashes to those people who didn't get to go to church, who would have wanted to do that. And I went to one and I didn't know anybody in the place. And they told me, you know, go F off, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's what happened. Then I went to another, and there's a, there, was a, there was a woman there who comes to church here sometimes. 
And she came up, she gave me a big hug. And she was so glad I was there and she knew everybody there. And guess what happened? There was a line of like 12 people, every single person that was there. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, give, give me the ashes. I don't even know what this means, you know? I'll tell you what it means. I'll explain it to you. And then I go to the last bar, right? Don't know anybody in it. Um, I explain what it is. Well, they're like, well, tell us about it. They don't know me. So I don't have anywhere else to go. So I sit down and get a drink and spend some time explaining it. And I hear their life story and I share my life story. Now, in this one night, there's a parable, right? In this one night, there's lessons there. And in this one night, there is this whole idea that if we are going to love people, if we are going to be family, if we're going to make an impact on anybody's life, we have to know people and they have to know us. We have to break down barriers. We come into a place and, and, and want to bring our stuff into a hostile place that has, doesn't know us from nothing. What are they going to do? They're going to do what they did at that first bar, right? Get out of here. Who are you? We don't know you. Now you know some people. Now all of a sudden the game has changed. And you got a doorway in. And there's an opportunity to share the love of God. And sometimes you got to do the work. You don't know anybody, but you got to sit down. <laughs> you got to sit down, slow down, and work at those relationships. Remember what I was saying? What, what, what changed it for our students in Rwanda? What changed it for me growing up? It was tons of meals together, tons of time sitting under gospel teaching together, and just tons of time talking together. And we became family. And this verse became our reality, that there is no Greek, there is no Jew. It goes on to say there is no slave, there is no free person. So we're talking about two different ends of the, of the society, right? And this just transcends, this is not necessarily tied to ethnicity. This is about rich and poor. This is about having money and not having money. In Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You ever hear the golden rule? Did you ever hear this version of it? The one who has the gold makes the rules, <laughs> right? See, we are infatuated. We bow down to money. It is an idol. It is a false god. It's something that we think brings comfort. It brings security. It, it brings an ability to do whatever we want. We say that money can't buy happiness, but then when we think about it, we really believe, well, it could buy me that vacation. It could buy me a second home. It could buy me chocolate. It could buy me drugs. It could buy me whatever I want to make me happy. But this is the thing. Nothing is going to fill your starving and thirsty soul but God himself. Money will not satisfy it. The richest nations on earth, the richest nations on earth, and I don't just talking about America, but I'm talking about like 
Iceland and Norway and all these places where per capita, the regular person has, the, has a lot of money and there's very little poverty, have the highest rates of suicide. Because when you have no problems, when you have no struggles, you don't even know why you're alive. Sometimes we need to thank God that we have to work or thank God that we have to hustle the system or thank God that we have to just solve problems right now because if things slowed down enough, we would be stuck with our thoughts and we would be depressed as all get out. <laughs> Do we have Proverbs 38 and 9? I want to put this on the screen and I want to say this together as a prayer. This is something that, honestly, I believe you ought to have in your house somewhere. It ought to be on your refrigerator or somewhere where you can look at it a lot. And you can remind yourself of this a lot because this is a huge stumbling block to all of us. And, and, and it's written as a prayer. So let's say this together as a request to God. Keep me from falling. You know, in politics, Jesus was in this tough place. And he, everybody was surrounding him. And he, they looked to him to overthrow the Romans. <laughs> they looked to him to be their political king, to be somebody that was going to change their political situation. And they came up to him, and they tried to trap him, and they said, listen, should we be paying the taxes? Because they knew the crowds would, would either be, what they wanted to hear Jesus say is, Nah, forget Caesar. I'm bringing my kingdom. You pay me. <laughs> right? We're, we're going we're gonna to start a new kingdom. What does he say? In Mark 12, 17, Jesus told them, he said, give. He asked them first, he says, give me the coin. Let me look at it. Whose picture is on that coin? And he says, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. And they were utterly amazed at him. When you, all your hope is for building up your kingdom here, now you will seek power. You will play politics. You will constantly rag about whatever side of the political lane you come down. Listen, the solutions of how we're supposed to live together, they really matter as a nation, as a town. Like it really matters who's the mayor. It really matters the roles we have. All of that really matters. But it doesn't matter <laughs> at all in eternity. It sort of doesn't matter. There is neither lifelong Republican or lifelong Democrat in Jesus. It is a tiny little blip in history. A tiny, tiny little bit. And I'm not saying don't have your opinions and don't articulate them. But they don't, ha they don't there's not, they're not even like a little candle in the face of your identity as covered in Jesus, as someone who's been saved by him.
It is a false God. So what does it mean to be baptized in Christ and then we're done? It's this ring. It says you're married. You're given a new name. Your new name is you were owned by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have this new family. Your identity is a pilgrim. You, you, you come up here and you renounce the world. You renounce yourself. You renounce evil. You belong to a world beyond politics, beyond money, and beyond race. You see it. You see this. You may look at other people that are different from you and not understand their values and even see some things about their values that seem to, go, seem to offend you and you even say, maybe they offend God. But you see it this way. And I'm talking to you, Republican. I'm talking to you, conservative guy. I'm talking to you, make America great again. I'm talking to you, socialist. I'm talking to you, Democrat. Right now, you look at the other side and you're like, how could they think this way? And yet, you need to think in terms of someone who was deserving of death. And that you have an eternal future that's the same as the one who's in Christ, who may disagree with you, but loves Jesus. Jesus came and he died the death that you deserved. You are covered, baptized, covered. You're not covered by your goodness. You're not covered by being a decent guy. You're not covered by your family. You're not covered by your ethnicity. You're not covered by your political views. You're not covered by your sense of common sense. You're not covered by what numbers in your bank account, or if you don't even have a bank account, and, and, and the, they just pay you onto a card, right? You're not covered by any of that. But that you needed Jesus. And it transforms your relationships with others. Those who are in Christ are your family forever. A girl in Camden who only speaks Spanish is more your family. If she's a believer and follower of Christ, and if you say you're a believer and following Christ, then some of your family. That lifelong Democrat who organizes crazy demonstrations all the time that you don't agree with. If he knows he needs Jesus, he's more of your brother. That person who feels disillusioned and goes with Make America Great Again and wants to see that happen and, and just has a different way of looking at everything than you. If he loves Jesus, he's your brother. She's your sister. The Bible says we're seeking a better country. We can't seek two. <laughs> the better country and a better America. <laughs> At the deepest level, we are seeking a better country. One that will outlast this life and will outlast this nation and will outlast time. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that you are the one who frees us from our idols, from our false gods. And we have spent weeks talking about all these different idols, all these different things we bow down to and we, we really hope is gonna give us meaning, it's gonna give us purpose, it's gonna give us happiness. And they're all lies. They just, they do not deliver. Lord, I pray that we would look to you to be our deliverer. 
I pray that we look to you to be the one that we hang our hope for meaning, for mission, and for happiness. Help us to love people that are different than us. Even if we were raised not to, even if we were told that other people were wrong and bad and it was drilled into us, Lord, make us a family. Lord, we pray for this church. We pray that it would be a church that just looks like the craziest blended family in Gloucester. <laughs> full of stable people, full of folks who are like owning businesses and full of people that are struggling every ethnicity, people who have lived in this town for like 400 years going when they chase their family and those who just, who just landed last week. Lord, we pray, Father, that you'd make us a family. In Jesus' name, amen.